0: Last week, we began a look at our series, Making an Impact on Our World, a look at examples of biblical evangelism and who it is we are to be sharing with. We'll continue that series next on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, greetings and welcome to Graceful Truth. Pastor Steve Converse will have us in the book of John as well as the book of Acts, looking at biblical principles for impacting our world. We've got an acronym for you, LAMP, L-A-M-P. We'll spread that out and share with you just exactly what that acronym looks like and what it means here on today's broadcast. So join us with examples of biblical evangelism. Here's Pastor Steve Converse.
1: When Jesus died on the cross, He died on the cross. If you're here this morning and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you've trusted in Him for your salvation, He died for you by name. Are you saying He didn't die for all of us? Well, He did. The Bible says that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But you know what? That death is not efficacious. That death death is not meaningful to those who refuse to believe. If you refuse to believe in Christ, if you refuse to bow your knee to the Savior, you know Jesus can die all day long it doesn't do you any good because he calls us one by one that's why it's important you know parents when you're raising your children be aware of that That your children need to come to a personal time in their their life where they yield their their heart to Christ it's not good enough for you to be a Christian I mean that's great raise them up in a Christian family that's wonderful but that doesn't guarantee that they're gonna be a Christian That doesn't care care to be on the narrow path. As a matter of fact, I've seen a lot of people raised in Christian families that they, they, they think they're on the narrow path, but in reality, you look at their life and they're on the broad path. They're on a fast track to hell. But they know all the language. They know how to say this and say that. And yes, you know, I raised my hand at this Sunday school class. Did all these things. But you look at their life today and there's not even a glimpse of Christ. There's no desire to pray. There's no desire to study. There's no desire to gather with believers. There's no desire to evangelize others. None. And yet they're a Christian because, you know, mom and dad told them they're a Christian because one day they let them in some prayer. I'm just here to tell you that, you know, nowhere here did we see Jesus say, okay, Philip, stop and, you know, before you follow me, I need to pray with you. I need to have the sinner's prayer and you're gonna pray the sinner's prayer and then you can follow me. You don't see it in scripture. I'm not saying it's not a tool that we can use, but I'm saying it's also a tool to deceive many because they're led word by word through this, this prayer that they pray and afterwards they're congratulated on being part of God's family and they're welcomed and you know, pretty soon they're in you know, the same morning, sometimes they're being baptized and all you know. I, I don't know, I'm more of the tendency to say, you know what, let's, let's see if this takes. <laughs> Let's see if Jesus really did change your life. Let's see what's happening in your life. What, what's going on? I mean, if, if you have come to Christ, then you're going to change. It's, it's just going to happen. If you look in the Bible, every place where people came in and followed Christ, they were changed. They didn't have to be taught how to change. They were changed from within. See, so many times we have people come to Christ and when we take them, and we want to almost indoctrinate them. <laughs> like it's our job. Like we're, we're taking the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong, there's a place for discipleship. There's a place for mutual care within the body. But sometimes we have to be wise and we have to step back and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to pull back from this one and let God do a work in that person's life. Because maybe that's the only way that it's ever going to get done. And you see here that that Philip, we're going to see here, Thomas comes to him in verse 5 and he says, hey, we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't come in the back door. There's no way. It's not because you're part of a certain church. It has nothing to do with it. It's a personal personal following. And each individual is responsible for where their heart is. It says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, You know me and have seen him. Look at verse 8. Who comes out? Philip Philip said to him, "Here's Philip again, Lord, got a question, Uh, Lord, show us the Father, and it is is sufficient for us. Once again, logical. Philip kind of comes and says, hey, okay, we kind of understand what you're saying here, but show us the Father, Philip, and then that'll be sufficient, Lord. Um, That's what he's asking Jesus. Jesus said to him in verse 9, Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Or how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am am in the Father and the Father in me? In the words that I speak, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the words themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I have, that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do. What an incredible statement. Can you, have you ever, I mean, do you think about the, the, the works that you're doing? I mean, God says that as believers, he's be prepared beforehand good works, that we should be partakers of them. Do you understand that those works are greater in, in Jesus' mind, that's what, what he said there. He said, you'll do greater works than what I've done. And whatever you ask in my name, whatever it is, that I will do. That doesn't just mean, you know, you tag in Jesus' name at the end. You know, Lord, I want a new Cadillac. In Jesus' name. Hey, he said it. You know, I'm going to get that thing. I just believe it. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about in accord with my will. Because when you invoke the name of Christ, you're, you're really invoking His will into the situation. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And he goes on in verse 15, comes back to the discipleship aspect of it. He says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. In other words, you know what? It's not good enough just to say, yeah, God, I love you, and Jesus, I love you. God says in His Word that, you know what? That love should be evident in your life. We should be able to look at our lives and see God changing us and molding us into what He wants us to be so that we can fulfill the works that He has set before us. And those works are even greater than the works that Jesus did. It says, verse 16, Jesus, I will pray the Father and He will give you another Helper. In other words, hey, I'm going to to be out of here pretty soon, guys, but I'm going to to send somebody else for you, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him because He dwells in you, because you're a believer. That's what He's saying. And will be in you. And, And He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see Me no more. In other words, I'm going to depart from this earth But you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Sounds kind of like a a weird phrase, but if you read through it, he's saying, you know what? We're all in this together. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, he says, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Philip gets this huge answer (laughs) to this statement he makes. And I think that somehow it made sense to Philip. Because if you jump all the way over to the book of Acts, remember these guys were simple guys, these disciples. They were pretty simple men, fishermen, and different professions, but I mean they were simple guys. Over in the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 7, it says, when he had finished... When we had finished our voyage, when they're going on their their trip here, and they came from Tyre to Ptolemies and greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. Look at what it says in verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And whose house did they enter? (laughs) They entered the house of Philip who? The evangelist who was one of the seven, and he stayed with them." Do you know that nobody else in Scripture is called an evangelist? There's not one other person in Scripture that's called an evangelist. Now, Timothy's called to be an evangelist, to, 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 to use the gifts of an evangelist, but nobody's called an evangelist, except Philip. And the reason is, it's because if you jump back to Acts 8, we see this unfold before our eyes. We're just going to look at this quickly in closing. Acts 8 relates this story of, of Philip sharing the gospel with this very powerful and affluent Ethiopian official. And you know what? This man probably had everything the world had to offer and more. But he was still missing something. He was still missing something. You know, if, if Bill Gates walked in here and sat down and we started to talk with Bill Gates, would you feel a little intimidated to share Christ with him? I don't know. I think I would. <laughs> I mean, the guy's got more money than I mean, the world. You know, I mean, it's just incredible. It's just the just the accomplishments in his life. But what's what's his greatest need? If he doesn't know Christ, I don't know what his spiritual state is. But if he doesn't know Christ, his greatest need is not to sit down and say, "Well, tell me about how did you do this with, you know, with Microsoft." I mean, that's probably what I mean would would pique our interest. We'd want to know. Give me some business tips or something. But what's that guy's greatest need? To know Christ. We shouldn't feel intimidated by that because the Word of God says that the gospel is the power of God onto salvation. See, it's, it's by the gospel that people are one to Christ. It's not by music. It's not by entertainment. It's not by skits. It's not by, you know, doing all this other stuff that, that you see in, in different venues around the country. And then they put church on it it's it's the power of 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 God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's entrusted that gospel to us his church so that we can share that message with others and we're the only ones that have it and here you see Philip in chapter 8 verse 26 does read this for us quickly he says now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying <laughs> incredible I mean this man must have grown incredibly with his relationship with God as a result of his relationship with Jesus. Because an angel spoke to him. He said, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. (laughs) I just came from the desert. I went down to visit Doug and Kelly in New Mexico. They had a ticket they had to use by the end of September. So he said, well, come on down. And so I was able to get away from Wednesday to Saturday. And they live in the desert. They live in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I mean, as soon as I stepped off the plane in El Paso, Texas, I said, I don't like it here. (laughs) I just don't like it here. I don't like the desert. I have nothing, you know, nothing against it. I just don't like it. I lived six years of my life there, or five years, whatever it was. It seemed like an eternity. And, you know, it just doesn't do anything for me. I was even, you know, I mean, some guys, you know, golf. And so flying in, you see all these, you know, golf courses and stuff. I don't golf, so I I couldn't even get excited about that. There was just nothing there that excited me. It was desert. I mean, can you imagine God saying, okay, you know what, you're going to go back down. Verse 27, So he arose and he went, without even question. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had, charged, who had charge of all her treasury. So he was kind of the overseer of all this, this money. And had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And he was sitting in this chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Interesting. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and, and overtake this chariot. Now I don't know about you, but right about now I'm thinking, What? <laughs> Do you know who this guy is? You know, it's not like he's probably just some lone little guy in a chariot. I mean, this guy was an important individual. He was in control of all the, the treasury of the, the queen of Ethiopia. He probably had an entourage all around him. And you want me to go overtake it? Be like if President Bush you know, visited Redwood City and God spoke to you in your prayer time saying, I want you to over, go overtake his motorcade and share the gospel with him. Whoa! That would be a feat. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. See the eagerness? And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. See, you notice that Philip didn't ask, well, what do I say to him? What do I do? I, I mean, how am I going to overtake? He just ran to him. And, and as he, he got closer to the situation, God revealed truth to him. God helped him through that. Sometimes when we're about to share our faith, man, our tongue, our, our mouth gets dry, our tongue gets tied, and we don't know what's going to happen. And we're nervous, and we feel, oh, I can't do this, I don't want to do this. But if we're faithful to follow through, God could change somebody's heart as a result of our, of our obedience. So he ran to him. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and here's the first thing he, he he said there. I put a little thing down there. Lamp about sharing your faith. First of all, he was led of the Spirit. You know, you have to be led of the Spirit if you're going to share your faith. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a command, but sometimes we just want to fulfill that command just to make us feel better. So we just go out and kind of, you know, we're putting tracks on windshields or whatever. I'm not saying God can't use that because He can, but it's also against the law, so don't do it. But you know, it's littering basically, but but I think you know when we're led by the Spirit, that means you know what we're sensitive, and so when we go into a, a restaurant or we go into a coffee house or whatever, you know, do we think about that waitress that comes to our table and is 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 order? You know, we're ordering our food from. I mean, where are they at? Where are they at? Where are they going to spend eternity? If she dropped dead right there, would she spend eternity in hell? If she doesn't know Christ. She would. And here we are sitting there feeding our faces with physical food, and we have spiritual food that could possibly save her soul, and we're unwilling to do it because of our pride or whatever. We need to be led by the Spirit. Second thing, you see that there. The second thing you see Philip doing is he asks questions. He overtakes a chariot, and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? Have you ever done that? Walked into a public place, maybe it's a coffee house or something, you see somebody reading a text of Scripture. Maybe they have a Bible or a devotion or whatever. I've done that a couple times. Ask them, what are you reading? And usually it's a Christian, you know, so then you can have a little fun with them. You're reading the Bible? (laughs) You really believe that stuff? You know, and you go out and, well, yeah, you know, they're kind of, well, good, I'm I'm a brother in the Lord too, so praise God, you know. But ask questions. That's what Philip did. He was led to the Lord. He asked questions. And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? This guy had a need. He was doing the right thing. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, but he didn't know what he was reading. He says, how can I, unless somebody guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture where he was reading was this. Look it. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip. And said, you know, I ask you of whom this prophet does speak. Is it of himself or is it some other man? So he has need for information here. Well, what does Philip do? Then Philip opened his mouth. And he's probably, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you're opening your mouth and you just don't know what's going to come out? You're just trusting God. God, give me the right answer for this. And beginning at this scripture, what did he do? It says he preached Jesus to him. He proclaimed the name of Jesus to him. He was led by the Spirit. He asked his questions. He met the guy's need of, of wanting to know something. And then he simply presented Christ to him. When's the last time we've done that? When's the last time we've sent we've been led by the Spirit to address somebody and, and then we ended up preaching Christ to them, sharing Christ with them. That's what we're called to do. It says there in verse thirty six, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. They must have talked about a lot about this. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So he probably went through the whole gospel and then he probably went through it again and, and described you know, the whole issue of baptism and identification with Christ. He, because I mean there's no way that the eunuch would just kind of pop up with this question. So there's a conversation going on. And Philip says, Hey, you know what? If you believe with all your heart, that's what it's about. And he answered and he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is what? He's the Son of God. See, that's the right answer. That's the right answer to the question. That's, you know, when, when someone asks you the simple question, how do you know that you're going to be in heaven one day? See, whenever people pause and they start, well, you know, I mean, I was raised in this church, and, you know, I was this and I was that, and I try to, I try to live a good life, and, you know, I think I'm just hoping that God would, you know, big red flag. The Bible says that you can know. You can know that you'll be in heaven one day. The correct answer is, you know what, because I'm trusting that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm trusting that He died for my sins, and I don't have to. So verse 38, So He commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. You notice Philip just didn't reach down and grab a cup of water and sprinkle the guy. It says they went down into the water. That's why we believe biblical baptism is by immersion. Verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. (laughs) And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through. He preached in all the cities until he came back to Caesarea. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know everything there is. None of us know everything there is about our Christian faith or about the Bible or whatever. But the one thing we do know Like Philip, you know what, maybe you can't go toe-to-toe with somebody who's being argumentative about the the message of the gospel. But surely you can say, come and see. (laughs) Just come and see. Just come and see what Christ has done. Surely you can share with them if Christ has changed your walk, if Christ has changed your life, giving you a new walk in Christ. Surely you can share with that individual how Christ has done that. It doesn't have to be a big sermon. I believe every believer should be able to share their, their testimony within two minutes or less. And it's basically, you know what, what my life was, how I came to Christ, and what my life has been since. Simple message. But it's a message that has power because people look at it. They come and they see and they go, well, He made a difference in your life. See, I think a lot of times our churches are filled with people that Christ has never made a difference in their life. So we're asking people to share something that they don't even possess, which is sad And I pray this morning that you know, that you know, that you know, that when you pass from this life into the next, not based on who you are, not based on your riches or your wealth or your own character or your own abilities, but based on the promise of God's Word, that that He who knows the Son is free indeed and will live eternally. I pray that, that you all know that and understand that. Father, we pray this morning that you would just dismiss us with your blessing. Lord, I ask that you would uh, minister to us. And Lord, I pray that we would never forget to, to be like Philip, the evangelist. Lord, that if you have truly changed our life, there's no reason why we shouldn't be out there sharing that. There's no reason why we should at least not be out there grabbing people and telling them to come and see not only what you've done in our life but to come and see what Christ can do in, in their life and Lord that's a message that people will embrace at least they'll check it out and that allows you opportunity to work in their heart to draw them unto yourself Lord I pray that we would never forfeit that, that privilege and that responsibility of sharing the gospel of Christ with those around us Lord if there's anybody here this morning who is yet to cry out to you for mercy for grace who's yet to put their faith and their trust in you, I pray that you would do that work in their heart this morning. Lord, that they would cry out to you and that they would just trust in you, Jesus, as their Savior. And ask you to make them the the person that you've created them to be. They'd turn from their sin and, and embrace Jesus. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. And Father, we thank you for this morning. We just pray that you bless our fellowship time afterwards. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name.
0: Oh, we're out of time. That'll close out our time together today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for praise and worship. Service time, 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade five. And if you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. That's 650 650- You can also find more information about us and who we are on our website, which is gracefultruth.org. That's www.gracefultruth.org. In fact, if you're planning on joining us for worship, we'll have directions and details again at our website, gracefultruth.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. Again, that's 2225 Euclid Avenue, here in Redwood City. The zip code 94061. Also, we have a discernment seminar coming up with Justin Peters. That's Friday, March 22nd, 7 p.m., and then all day Saturday, March 23rd, 9 and 11, with Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. held by Justin Peters. Again, this is a marvelous seminar on discernment, a call for discernment, a biblical critique of the Word of Faith movement. Are Christians really little gods? Did Jesus die spiritually and pay for our sins in hell? And Should we all speak in tongues? What about being slain in the spirit? What are the signs of a false prophet? Is it always God's will to be physically healed? Is healing in the atonement? And if I'm not healed, is it my fault? These questions are asked constantly in our society, and they're presented to us in such a way as to say that if we don't answer them right, we're not godly. We're not even Christians. Justin Peters Ministries. We'll be dealing with all this, again, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Friday, March 22nd, Saturday, March 23rd, and Sunday, March 24th. The seminar is free. There will be a love offering taken. And for more information, simply visit our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, call. That phone number again is 650-366-9923. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time. God bless.